Hello, everyone. This is Joanne Dennison, CMP, welcoming you to another episode of Sit in the Attendees Chair. Thank you so much for joining us, whether this be your first time or you've caught some of the previous ones. With me today in the studio is on the control board. It's Pauline. Hi. And Pauline's back from France, so we're very glad to have her. Um, and over there. Oh, me, Steve the Great, <laughs> bebopping along <laughs> with Joanne, sitting in the attendee's chair. Listeners. Either that or he's sleeping. We're not really sure which. She, it's fun because we sat across from each other and she never knows what I'm going to say. So Yeah, and I can't quite like kick him under the table either. But anyway, thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Um, we have an episode today that I know a lot of people are going to be very interested in. Uh, we have a guest, and I ask her specifically because of her expertise uh, to be with us. She's also uh, became a dear friend over the past five years, which I really appreciate. Uh, even got uh, baby pictures yesterday, so I always know I'm in when I get baby pictures or kitty, dog, other fur baby pictures, too. But I'd like to introduce you to Liz Dombrowski. And Liz is, is, would the correct title Liz be a certification expert or designation expert? What, what's the correct word that we would use? We can actually start there. We generally start by calling them credentials. And we can ah. talk about why in a second. But expert is a terrifying title. So well, you we'll know what leave I, that one off. Well, what I learned years ago from uh, – being in National Speakers Association is truly an expert as someone who's just 15 minutes ahead of everyone else. So because I got nervous when people would start calling me an expert in anything else, I'm like, oh, no, 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 don't do that to me. But anyway, Liz, I am absolutely thrilled to have you with us today. Um, always good to have a, a friend on, but also one who's an expert. So why don't we start by you telling who you are with doing all these credentials and uh, a little bit about the credential that goes with that group. How's that? Sure. So I am the certification manager at SITE, which is the Society for Incentive Travel Excellence. And so I'm really glad I'm going to interrupt for a minute. I mean, everyone hears me talk about MPI because I've been a member over 25 years and I've been a member of a couple of the others, you know, off and on. Um, but I think it's so important that people understand how many different professional associations there are in this industry and that you can belong to more than one. And if you're able to afford it, you should belong to more than one as you find your niche. So, Tell us who belongs to SITE. So when we talk about SITE and incentive travel, it's that I in the MICE world, and it is the fastest growing sector in business events. And frankly, it has the highest income capita and the widest supply chain. So it's about 7% of all business events fall under that I, that incentive travel category. And wow. it's about, well, it was pre-COVID. When we last did the study in 2018, and this is through EIC's Global Economic Impact Study, it was about $75 billion in business a year. Wow. So you, it's a big book of business we don't talk about enough. Uh, well, and I think because it's, it's the more fun part as people would look at it, and I'm not sure it's given the credit it should. Why don't you explain a little bit about 
what falls into a lot of people may not actually know what incentive travel is except kind of vaguely so, so how does site see incentive travel what does that include who goes on these incredible i'll talk about the most stereotypical example there's all sorts of nuances and various ways that people get involved in incentive travel but the most stereotypical example that we think of is when you have a corp corporation and they send the top 10% of sellers on a fabulous week-long trip to Hawaii. That's what everybody jumps to. And those are great trips. If you are top 10% of your seller, you should definitely take the free trip to Hawaii. But it's a lot more than that as well. This is when we have groups that want to go on a team-building exercise and they really want that experience where people are able to network and get to know their colleagues a lot better. This is also when you have customers that you need to do a little more impressing for. So it goes just beyond that stereotypically what we thought of in the 80s as incentive travel. Well, that's interesting. And so you're, you're including uh, client or potential client events also in there. So there's different ways that people look at this because the lines have blurred over time, mm -hmm. especially as people have wanted to essentially flex their business trip to bring along their spouse, bring along their kids, maybe extend their business trip a couple days on either end. So there's a little, there's better ways to think about incentive travel because are you merely going to have your corporate event somewhere that people are going to want to bring the family? So, and there's ways that you can work with someone who works in this industry to make sure that your employees are getting the bang for their buck while they're on site for your business trip. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because of course that's, I remember, you know, watching that go in and out in terms of, um, I don't want to say popularity, there should be a better word for it, with even more traditional meetings, you know, especially association meetings, having at places where people could, again, bring their family, maybe the guests, you know, went with them to things, or maybe the guests did things with kids or something, why the employee attended the event or something, but you know, let's face it, this is why Orlando is such a huge, huge popular meeting spot is, well, we probably don't even need to say more on that one. Um, but that's very interesting, the team building and the, that's, that's really fascinating. So the, the people who belong to site, do they consider themselves meeting planners, incentive planners, event planners? Thank you. So when we talk about who is a member of site, we're in 90 countries right now. We have a local chapter system. And our members are people that work for the corporation that are sending people on the trips, as well as the oh. agencies, the airlines, the cruise lines. So we have that entire distribution, destination supply chain represented here at site. So you're mainly your members actually work in the corporations? I would it's it's a, it's a split between the corporations that are sending people on the trips as well as the vendors and agencies that they work with to set this travel up. It's interesting because right there you've like blown my mind because I think of probably because of the people I have known other than like a, a supplier like a hotel or a DMC or a CVB, something like that. Um, I think of like companies that are incentive planners, you know. Um, there's one in particular I'm thinking of that was around for years and years, but you know, I didn't even think about corporate people belonging to it. I mean, that, that alone is like, okay, wow, that's a great new piece of information for me. 
Um, mm-hmm. And they probably have a title internally like meeting planner, but what they're really doing is they're setting up these incentive trips internally. Yep, and I certainly have known meeting planners that that was part or all of their job. So that's a really good point. Um, so out of curiosity, like what kind of education do you all offer at your chapter meetings, your global meetings? I don't know if you also do like regionals, like the Americas mm-hmm. and Europe. And um, I mean, when we you're do around all of the above. And of course, now, oh, shock, you do virtual too, I'm pretty sure. Uh, Actually, we're currently not doing a virtual. We're actually, we have Site Classic starting in California today in person. No virtual component. We're really excited. So we do have our in-person meetings and events that are happening. Mm -hmm. And we are traveling again as an industry, which is brilliant. Our local chapters are also offering in-person education at this point that they basically determine their own local needs and whatnot, which is wonderful. Here at Site HQ, we do more traditional webinars and whatnot. We also have two in-house credentials that we offer, both which does have the one has a virtual education component, and then the other is a more traditional where you study on your own time and you sit the exam, which will be in person this October. So we're excited to go back to what we're going to call our new normal. Yeah, this version of normal is what I'm calling it. Um, figuring it's going to change again within six to 12 months. But perfect segue into talk about the credentials that you all offer. And then we'll talk about credentials as a whole. But let's hear about mm-hmm. sight. Because it'll set the so stage we, great for people to understand what we're going to talk about. Absolutely. So site, we actually have two certifications of the two credentials that we are known for. One is the CIS, which is a Certified Incentive Specialist. And that's really an entry-level designation that's aimed at people who are brand new to the incentive travel industry. So a lot of times people are coming in from corporate events or association events. And all of a sudden, they are told they need to plan some incentive travel, and they're going, holy crap, how do I do that? So this is a more traditional accredited certificate model where we teach you the basics of incentive travel. And at the end of the program, you sit the comprehensive exam, and that's our CIS certification. And it is a certification. It's a certification because it's renewed, and we can go through that process. And they have to recertify, I assume, in a certain number Mm -hmm. of years. Exactly. Okay. And then we also have our CITP, which is our Certified Incentive Travel Professional, which is geared towards our, I'd say, mid to senior level professionals that are working across that spectrum of incentive travel that are looking for a little more prestige, a little more clout, but have the industry experience that want to set themselves apart in incentive travel. C-I-T-P, you said, right? C-I-T-P. Okay. I've seen that a couple times. Never had a clue what it was. Um, Good to know. And that is also a certification? That is a certification. And then we're actually working on our Certified Incentive Travel Executive, which is our, I want to call it our top level Mm -hmm. credential. It's undergoing redevelopment. Mm Mm-hmm. So I don't have a lot of details on what that's going to look like in terms of certificate versus certification, but I would say keep an eye on us. In 2022, it will be exciting if you are a top executive in incentive travel. Oh, that's very cool. Oh, wow. That's that's very neat. And I'm sorry, how many people did you say are members of SITE? I know you said 90 countries around the world. 
Oh, that's actually a wonderful question that I should know. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> I want to say we're hovering around 3,000. I know that we're, we're a small group, but we're a small group of purpose, and we're very active and engaged. Oh, yeah, they, you're very targeted. Members, exactly. <laughs> And I think that's, you know, that's one of the reasons I encourage people to look at other professional associations because they think of, you know, the big ones like MPI and everything. But a lot of these very targeted ones, they have a whole different, not better, not worse, just different culture and, you know, focus and size and um, you get something different out of them. Uh, so... Go ahead. Beauty of sight is if you need someone who can tell you how you can set up a hot balloon ride tomorrow in Panama, we know who that person is. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Do you two have any co questions, comments as we um, move along? I just wondered, with those two you just mentioned, uh, are there CPE requirements for those as well? CE. Or CE, I'm sorry. You can tell he comes from finance. Mm -hmm. CE is what we're talking about here. Everybody loves continuing education. Yep. Yes, in order to renew any certification, there's generally two ways that you renew. You have to define your continued competency. Traditionally, it's through CE, as well as demonstrating industry experience, so just continuing to work in the industry, as well as that testimonial thing. Okay. Um, and I assume there's information on the uh, website as to, you know, all the explanation as to how you Absolutely. apply, who qualifies, what's involved exactly. in studying. Well, the first one, it sounds like they go to a class and then take the exam at the end mm -hmm. of the class. For CIS, we do offer it in person in various places around the globe throughout the year. We're happy to get back to that as well as a virtual component. If you just want to take it right now, okay. you can do the CIS that way. CITP, there is a more traditional approach of you study on your own time. We tell you what we're going to test you on. The exam is only offered a few times a year, though. So is it offered virtually or only face only in testing it's centers? Only face to face. This is an old school traditional pencil scantron sheet exam still. It's actually one of the last in our industry. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It really wasn't that long ago for things like the CMP though that it was. I mean that only went electronic more recently than people realize. You know, um, mm -hmm. they just think it was always that and everything. So very, very interesting. Um, just even to hear the two models of, of what they are. And um, uh, yeah, CEs, I mean, pretty much any time you're following a credential path, you have to get CEs to qualify to do it, and you need to get CEs to recertify, I would say. Would you? No? Am I would I right? say in general, this might be a nice pivot to kind of talk about what is credentialing and it what are all these terms is. that people can allow. Yes, that's perfect. So let's start, you know, the terms that are running through my head, like I never use credentials and after today I will. You know, I finally learned a little bit about designation. So let's talk about all these words that people hear and what makes things different. And I can tell you right now, one of the big questions that's going to come up is when can you use the letters? So, but <laughs> let's start out with credentials. So when we talk about this big umbrella term of credentialing, it really is that. It's an umbrella term. It's used to refer to professional certifications, certificate programs, accreditation, licensing, regulation. So if you don't know what to say, your big catch-all term is it's credentialing. 
Got it. Like in that. In our, our industry, we generally are talking about certification and assessment-based certificate programs. Those are our two things that we tend to do in, I'm going to say the events world, just for an ease of term. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about a certification program, we're actually talking about the test itself. A certification is a test that is used to capture the knowledge, skills, and abilities required to perform a specific job. And after you pass the certification exam, you then are able to, the association then declares that a particular individual is professionally competent. And I remember so, that was the word I was going to bring up because I remember you sharing that with me at some point it is these exam or competencies exams. They're not teaching exams. Yes, you're going to learn as you're preparing for them potentially some things you may not be familiar with. But really what the exam is about is showing that you're at a particular level of competency in that area. Is that, did mm-hmm. I, did I capture that right? Correct. So when you pass a certification exam, what you have done is you have technically, from the Dorky test taker perspective, you have demonstrated that you have passed a baseline minimum competence in whatever the exam is on. What the exam can't tell you is if you were the bestest and brightest and most important event professional there ever was. It says that you have reached the line of baseline minimum competency. So certification exams are really good at saying if you pass the threshold. But what they don't measure is they don't measure how much you pass that baseline of minimum threshold. So we spend so much time basically making sure that only the good people pass the bar. But what we don't do is we don't differentiate how good you are once you pass. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think I like that because I was going to use the bar and medical as, you know, same thing with um, uh, physicians. Um, you know, you don't know. You could, they pass the minimum level needed to be considered competent in their field, but you don't know if you got the one that just squeaked through or the highest level. And, you know, that has to be proven elsewhere. And I know you know that I have this conversation frequently with people about the CMP and why the scores are no longer given. And I have to say, when they stopped giving the scores for people who passed, I was very vocal until I learned some of the reasons why they don't. Steve has a question. Go for it, Steve. I was just wondering, with what you just discussed, are there experience and education minimal requirements as well before you can sit for the exam? Oh, absolutely. It, would it make much sense to just, you know, you don't want me sitting certain certification exams. That would be terrifying. So in order to even qualify to sit for any certification exam, that's worth half a look at anything, there's going to be prerequisite requirements. Most areas, typically, they're going to be looking at your industry experience as well as requiring some type of prerequisite education in order for you to qualify to sit. Yeah, and I know that. Oh, Steve, go ahead. Oh, you were going to say Thank something. you. Um, you know, and this is a conversation that I have frequently with, you know, people considering the CMP program is, um, and unfortunately that's the only perspective I can really speak from. Um, but, you know, making them understand this is why 36 months of experience is required. And, and this is why you have to have the 25 CEs, you know, we don't, want someone coming out and of course if you have a degree in the field you can do it sooner but um and I remember you know having different conversations with different people over the years is partially because you also want to set people up for some 
some level of success, you know, um, is that if you've been out one year and you think you know all that or you've worked one year and, you know, you think you know all that, you're in for surprises. And real ugly way to find that out is not passing an exam. <laughs> so, um, so those folks might be from our other side of the house. We talked about what is certification. So they might be folks that are better suited potentially to those assessment-based certificates. Okay, talk so, about those. So an assessment-based certificate is basically an educational retraining program. So there are learning objectives. You go into a classroom or a virtual experience, you learn the information. And then at the end, there's some type of assessment or quiz or test that says, did the student learn these things? So the most stereotypical example of an assessment-based certificate is your university degree. You sat in a classroom, you learned Psych 101, you took the final exam, and congratulations, for all eternity, you have a transcript that says that you have passed Psych 101. It's a snapshot in time. Hmm. That's what an assessment-based certificate does. And I'm sure no one will ever be... look at their degree the same again after that. <laughs> Talk about, <laughs> well, like, okay, really, it wasn't that great. You did it, but, you know. <laughs> but think about it. That's essentially how you gain those 25 CEs. Now, now a one-hour continuing education course is not an assessment-based certificate. Right. Let's be crystal clear on that. Yep. But things like the CIS or site through some of those certificate programs, through I'm going to use MPI because they have lots of quality certificate programs out there, they're a great way to gain information and learn something. And it is a snapshot in time that at one point you sat in a room and you learned about risk management or whatever the topic du jour was. It doesn't mean that you're an expert on that forever and ever and ever for the next 30 years. But it proves that you, at one point, knew exactly what was up-to-date knowledge on this one topic. And that's a great stepping stone towards the certification program. Or even branching out into areas, you may have a certification, but right now, you know, a lot of people are taking, you know, ones on emergency preparedness, and even some of them are specific mm -hmm. to COVID and the pandemic. And, uh, you know, so it's like, maybe new knowledge, new situations that have popped up that, you know, you're not going to do a whole certification on, but you need to get some knowledge. And, of course, exactly. not only does it teach you the knowledge, but it gives you CEs toward applying for a certain, certain you know, depending on the certification or recertifying. Um, one of the things I, I wanted to say in this is assuming that, anything you attend has good or better education. Education and time is never wasted. Yes, good chance, you know, you'll choose it to qualify for CEs, but education is never wasted. And one of the things I get calls about a lot is, I'm thinking about doing this or this. What do you think I should do next? And my, my answer is always, well, it depends. It depends what you want to get out of it. You know, are you going for the sake of learning about something? Are you looking to get letters after your name? You know, what is your end goal here? What is your purpose in doing it? Because to me, that drives a lot of it. Um, because 
you know, uh, you can have certificate. Okay, so let's talk about certificates and what a jumble that can be. We've got certifications somewhere showing it's showing your um, competency on something, but certificates. So like you're talking about the certificates. I can think of three different kinds of certificates off the top of my head. And I'm not saying any are bad or good. They all have purposes. So you have the certificates that you get almost like the attendance ones that don't have an, any kind of assessment at the end, right? It's a, just a certificate that yeah. says you attended, right? Is that what they would be called? I mean, that's what it is. It could be a certificate of completion or a certificate of attendance. Okay. We don't really call that credentialing, per se, technically, though. Right. So it's good for the education. It's good for CEs. But people, this is not something you can put letters after your name, if that's what you're after. And it's very different than, let's say, and again, because MPI is what I'm most obviously aware of for many different reasons, looking at their HMCC program. That is similar to what you're talking about. You go, you learn the information, um, you take a, a assessment at the end. And in that case, though, the interesting thing is you can use those letters after your name. So what makes that certificate program different than a, a, another certificate program? Or if it's a certificate that has an assessment at the end, can you always use the letters after your name? This is kind of questions I get, and I know you get them too. And I'm going to go with it depends. So for a There we go. We're I titling this depends. session, It Depends. You know? <laughs> <laughs> the reality is, is that it's on the learner to do some due diligence. But it's also on their boss, if they're paying for the education, it's on their employer. It's on the clients where they hire you to Google what those letters after your name mean and see if they're worth anything. Because yes, I could go get licensed, quote unquote, today to do all sorts of things on the internet and get some funny letters after my name. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean you should hire me to paint your house or fix your car or have forbid take out your swing. Kind of the old mail order. Exactly. You know, well, look at all the people who can become um, officiants for weddings. All you have to do (laughs) is go online. You can become one in like an hour, you know. Uh, So, um, yeah. Exactly. And I think, you know, the point you're making. um, So, for example, two of the ones that I have been asked about a lot this past year, both are quality programs from two different places, and that's the DES. The let's hopefully I get it right. Digital event specialist, which is um, owned by or whatever administered by uh, PCMA, excellent program uh, from what I understand. It's one I've looked into. I know a number of people who've taken it in its earlier models, its middle models, and now its current models because it has evolved as the pandemic evolved. Um, that is a that okay is that is that a that's not a certification that's a certificate with it is my understanding i haven't looked at the curriculum lately though but it's an assessment and they can use the it's in the category that you can use the letters after your name because this is one of the questions i get a lot or the v-e-m-m which is um 
run through the Event Leadership Institute and other groups partner with them, like MPI partners with them and on that and everything. Um, also, uh, uh, excellent educational programs. They're totally set up completely differently. Um, but in that particular case, and I know and I admire Event Leadership Institute for when they realized that people were starting to use the VEMM after their names, uh, I know they have now made sure that classes that are going on since like last fall are told this is this is not something you can use after your name. But that's why I always say to people, what's important to you? You know, if you're comparing between those two groups and you want letters after your name, you need to do DES. You know, if you um, if it's all about the education and learning event technology and virtual meetings, and of course, both of them have far more than that on it, you know, you need to look at the programs and see what's going to work with you in terms of the format that they're taught in. But that's, you know, again, I think you're right. People need to look at, you know, what's going to be important, if, especially if their company is organization is paying for it, et cetera, is doing the homework, knowing what you need to get out of it and what your organization needs to get out of it. Am I in alignment with you, Miss Liz? I think you're in alignment there. And there's so many great programs out there that, frankly, are not going to give you letters after your name. There are some scary programs that will. It's <laughs> a lot of it is, unfortunately, just doing your research. And it can be time-consuming. But you also can, frankly, take some programs that would give you letters after your name, but you don't have to use them. Because if the alphabet soup is meaningless to you, and meaningless to your clients, don't perpetuate the cycle. There could be great education out there, and you just don't have to use the alphabet soup. And, you know, years ago, on uh, most of the time on my business cards, and I have two different business cards for the two different parts of my company, I took away, I, I leave my CMP on the one for this industry, but a lot of the information that people put on the front of their card, I chose to put on the back of the card because I just felt it looked a mess. And, you know, I was able to say what things were, my memberships, my certifications, my degree, you know, all these things that people put. But, you know, if they miss the point, yeah, you're right. You don't always have to use the letters. Um, uh, well, it's about your professional brand at the end of the day. And in yes. certification, we talk about measuring what we value. You cannot be the bestest at everything because then I still don't know how to hire you. But yep. if you want to be a leading person in, say, the incentives industry, you're going to go for CIS and CITP. Absolutely. But if that's not your book of business, you could take it for education, but otherwise, why advertise? Exactly. Like you might go and get the CIS so you're aware and maybe that's a little part of your job or someday you want to move into it, but you might not. Put it on your business card, for example. You might put it on your LinkedIn profile. You might put it on your, you would put it on your resume, uh, things like that. And the other thing, um, I had two thoughts at the same time. One, I happened to be looking at someone's LinkedIn profile. And, you know, a lot of people in the past 18 months, just to put a timeline, since I never know when people are going to listen to these, it's the first week of September in 2021. In the past 18 months, a lot of people have spent their time when they were furloughed or unemployed or or not traveling, getting more education and, and, you know, doing all kinds of credentials and certificates and everything 
But may I remind people on your resume, on your LinkedIn, if you've got 10, people aren't going to read them all. Put the ones that carry the most weight at the top. I was looking at one the other day and like there were all these, and again, I'm sure stuff was learned and everything, all these certificate programs and some of the bigger stuff, like a certification was buried down about seven deep. And I said, you just need to think about what you want people to see first because I doubt if they're going to read past two or three, you know. So, um, so okay, we have certificates that show a certificate of completion, as you put it. I call it certificate of attendance. And sometimes when I'm really snarky, not that I ever am, <laughs> it just reminds me of every child gets a trophy. Um, and the thing is, that's how people use them. Like they put them out there not realizing that that certificate just says they went and they took a class uh, because there was no assessment. So be careful again, I think, how much weight you put into something. Um, like you said, where's your brand? And then we have the certificates with the assessments that you were talking about. And then where would something... Uh, um, and I know it's not your group, and I know, but I just know you you know a lot about a lot of the credentials throughout the whole industry is um, so a lot of people get confused with the CMM because it is actually a certificate of meeting management, not a certification. But that's even more different than what you're talking about in terms of, you know, being taught, taking assessment tests, etc. And of course, it's looked at very differently than that. Any thoughts, not necessarily on the CMM as a whole, although it can be specifically, but more on like, what makes that even more different? Or does it still fall under the certificates that have an assessment? And that's why you can use the letters. So I really classify things in the certification world between certificates and certifications. Okay. In, sense, in the sense that certificate programs teach you the information. Yep. Certification programs say figure it out, quote unquote, on your own, and then show up and take the big scary test. That's the fundamental difference between the two types of programs. That's a great so when we look, breakthrough. Mm -hmm. Great break. That it's like I can picture it. Pauline's nodding her head. Just clarifies everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, and one's about your competency, the certification, and the other's about learning. Not that you don't learn anything on your way to the certification, but that's the big difference. That is the big fundamental difference. Now, there are certificate programs that will expect you to renew, that will expect you to retake the certificate program every couple of years to keep using those letters after your name. And that's really a hybrid model, mm -hmm. but it's still not technically a certification. Right. It doesn't mean that it's not powerful, that there's not value in it. But from a technical definition perspective, it means every two years they're going to teach you what the new and exciting trends are and then expect you to take, retake that test to prove that you know it. And that makes sense. When you look at how fast things change, well, period. But, you know, if, if we were to take, like, the, the risk management or emergency preparedness, you know, I say three, four years ago, everything we talked about was um, active shooters. Mm -hmm. And, you know, now all people are thinking about is pandemic, COVID, illnesses, et cetera. But a couple of years from now, you know, that could be, unfortunately, it could be a hybrid topic. But, um, you know. And you might not ever want a certification program for that, frankly, because it's right. better suited for that certificate model. 
I- exactly. And I think, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I'm an education junkie. There is absolutely no doubt about that. I've known that for years about me, you know, read anything, read everything, suck up information wherever I can, get me at a meeting and conference where there's, you know, good presentations. I can't get enough of it. Um, but I think, you know, sometimes people don't think that way. It's like, well, I've been in the industry. And it's so funny because you hear people who've been in five years, seven years, 10 years, 25, 30 years. I've been in the industry. There's nothing I don't know. And it's like, really? Really? Because things have changed so much, you know, and I get it that you learn some on the job. But, you know, what kinds of things do you have any thoughts as to how we can encourage people to keep being educated in their industry and all the things that, um, you know. Mm-hmm. So, and I feel like the model here has changed over time. And I'm going to talk about certifications because I think that's what people are still the most comfortable. Mm-hmm. When you take a certification, people then have to renew every three years, every five years, whatever the case may be. And when we renew our certifications, we talk about continued competency. And over time, what that means has changed. So we used to measure competency by measuring button seats. Congratulations, you sat your button this week for $25. You got $25 of continuing education. Thus, you must be competent. That's kind of a horrible model. Mm-hmm. We've changed over time. And there's a lot of value in live education, especially in our industry. But how we expect our attendees to engage has changed over time. And what that means is that I'm going to talk about doctors for a second because I feel like they do this really, really well. Who does? So when we talk when we talk about doctors, oh, doctors. of course they're going to sit. Of course our doctors are going to sit in a classroom and learn, but they're also going to do because I'm really happy that my doctors retook a class on how to do sutures. Mm-hmm. But I'd be happier knowing that he had the practice in front of someone who signed off on the fact that he still knows how to do them. Mm-hmm. So we've seen our model of what we call continued competency change over time from just passive participation to requiring some type of active management. So for doctors, that means that they have to demonstrate their skills. It's what we call a performance-based assessment. So prove that you know how to repair this heart. We also see that in a lot of medical things like folks that drive the ambulance and our EMPs they have to go through essentially an obstacle course, for lack of a more technical term, proving that they know how to do CPR or whatever the case may be. So it's a performance-based assessment of continued competency. And we're seeing that type of thing play into the event space as well. Think about the last time you sat in an, edu- in an educational course and there was some type of quiz or the speaker prompted you to show your active engagement by, you know, there's all sorts of tools that do this where they have the little quizzes that flash on. Mm-hmm. Or the last time you went to a webinar and you only got the CE certificate, if you could prove that you were actually there for the whole hour because you did the quiz at the end mm-hmm. or you did the check-ins throughout the course. So we're getting savvier. We're requiring our learners to be active. And that leads to better engagement. It also leads to being a little more confident that they're actually learning and absorbing the information. Or at least they've stayed in the room. I mean, let's that face it. That is also a good thing. And and that's a, that's a real problem. I remember when RFID uh, tags, name tags came out and everything, 
And one of the things they talked about is they could see if someone entered the room, did they stay for the full hour or whatever to get a CE? And, um, you know, I can think of so many examples, not necessarily, uh, I mean, I can think of someone I know who was attending a medical conference to get their CMEs. They went in, they signed in, and then they went out to tour New York. And it was, like, really tough for me to swallow because I didn't know that was going to happen. Um, because, you know, like you said, there's a reason they're asking people, to, all of us, to get continuing education. But, yeah, we probably get a little pickier about our doctors, you know, skipping out on their CMEs and everything. But, um, well, I think this has covered a lot of the questions I know I get. Pauline, what about you? You got anything... Questions, comments, Steve, you've been in the, y you've done it through CPEs with, you know, finance, mm -hmm. tax. Right. I Does any of this make sense mm. now in your world, too? Oh, yes. I do have a question, though. Uh, would, you would you say that most certification programs uh, have an ethics component to them as well? I would say accredited certification programs do because they're required to. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Stop, 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 stop. Okay, accredited. Uh, I just hit my mic. I got so excited. Um, accredited <laughs> certification versus non-accredited. Can we go into that category then? Oh, we can talk about this for a very long time. We're going to do the cliff notes version so that way all the your users don't hang up. Okay. <laughs> Oh, we did but an hour and a half on tax recently, so I'm pretty sure they're oh, not going to hang up. <laughs> so when we talk about, so there's essentially, well, I guess to back up a little bit more, certifications in the United States and internationally are not endorsed by the government. So the government does not issue your credentials. They are actually issued by associations and nonprofits. Interesting business model, interesting licensure choice. We do have licensure like our doctors and our lawyers where the government says you must have these things in order to practice. But for the majority of the certifications, especially in our space, they're issued by nonprofits. However, we just don't want Liz Dombrowski, certification manager at site, declaring this is a good certification because that has no meaning. So there it are, does in my book, Liz, just so you know. But go I ahead. Mean, I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> but go ahead. So there is actually a nonprofit third-party accrediting body for certification programs. This doesn't mean that if a certification is not accredited that it doesn't have – that it's not good. And good is a very subjective term. Right. So there's a lot of certifications that follow the best practices set forth by the third-party accrediting body that might not go through the pain and suffering and, frankly, expense of getting their program accredited. And that's a valid choice for a nonprofit to make. But there are also programs that will go through and get the program accredited, and they undergo an annual, do undergo an annual report and then renewal every five years then in order to demonstrate that their program meets the latest standards for certification programs. And this group is not, it, it shouldn't be in my mind from what you're saying. It's not ISET. ISET had their own, has their own setup so, for CEUs. and. Yeah, so when we talk about ISET, we're most likely thinking about educational courses 
Yeah. But when we talk about certification, we're talking about the NCCA, the National Commission of Certifying Agencies, which is run through the Institute for Credentialing Excellence. And ironically, they're the ones that have the certification for people who work in certification to get certified to run certification because that's a fun whole paradox right there. Mm, yeah. Do as I say, not as I do. Um, I, but, uh, but who else could do it, really? Like, they're the most knowledgeable, probably. Most they're the logical. most qualified. Now, in other countries, are, are they? Okay, wait. Okay, keep talking. Hold on. My mind's a little confused right now. I, I do have a question or comment. Um, with regard to no government agency issuing certifications, um, you, like for instance, I'm an enrolled agent before the IRS, which is, I, get, um, I have experience and I got to had to pass a test and I got to do CE, CPE in my case. And that is only issued by the Department of the Treasury of the Internal Revenue Service. And but that is not a certification, sir. That is a licensure. A license. Okay. So the, the, when we talk about credentialing, the fundamental difference between a certification and a licensure is a license is a certification that the government says you have to have. <laughs> That's the big fundamental difference between the two buckets, frankly. And so can you give us another of, example of what a licensure would be? <laughs> So, I mean, we can talk about our enrolled agents, our CPAs, which are actually licensed at the state level. Um, we can talk about our doctors and our okay. lawyers is our most stereotypical ones. So even though there's the state board and the state bar exam for our doctors and our lawyers, the federal government says in order to practice, you must be registered and licensed through the state board of accountancy or the, the state bar or whatever the case may be. Okay. Yep. I get it. I mean, everything from nail technicians and hairdressers to nurses to doctors, and you're right, and that's why you have to go state to state because, and I know there recently I was reading an article that there is some talk about how some of these things need to become nationwide. But my, so my EA is nationwide. Right. And I have all those requirements. But the federal government is requiring you to have that license. If I wish to practice before the tax court. Right. Yes. yes. And represent. Well, you can represent people in tax disputes without an enrolled agent uh, designation or license. Yeah. But <coughs> it's uh, only a fool represents himself. Okay. So there might be a few that are federally. Uh, you're saying overall the federal law mandates that people have to have licenses in their appropriate state, but there may be a few like Steve's that are federal. Exactly. And a lot of the state licensure requirements will differ by state and this is finance mostly. So you might, and I'm making numbers up. I'm sure Steve knows them better than me. You might not have to have a series seven, but you need your series 63 to practice and actually get all my series for mm -hmm. finance to practice in Alabama, but if you don't need your Series 7 to do the same type of work in Illinois. This is not actual advice. I don't know if that's true, but right. those series numbers are set by the federal government, but you might not need certain series exams to practice and do certain things in specific states. Got it. Okay. Clear as mud, right? Well, no, no, but it, that is kind of interesting. I hadn't really thought about licenses and, you know, and uh, I've known people who've taken, you know, 
the boards the law, medical, nursing, you know, and like you said, even state ones like, you know, cosmetologists, nail techs, all those people too. And um, Exactly. So, so when the government section is generally for health and safety, and we also consider financial health as part of that, you know, when the government steps in. So that's when we see licensure. Okay. Versus certification. Okay. And in Steve's case, it's probably federal because it's the tax courts of the federal government, so it's a federal licensure. 007. Finance is such a big old can of worms. And taxes, <laughs> it it's so like nightmare. You might need a second hour on that. <laughs> yeah. No, no, we did enough plastic, honest. Um. <laughs> License to tax, 007, Steve the Great. I'm changing my Wouldn't business. Wouldn't it be like I'm changing my business 990 card. or... 1040 like yeah, yeah, yeah 007 <laughs> yeah. i don't think uh, is the yeah license to tax 990 there we go that would that would work um so pauline what about you uh, any any comments questions did you learn something here definitely learn something yeah it's it's very confusing to me because i'm very new to you know the working world and the real world i guess so certifications and certificates are always confusing to me Especially when you see the cost of certain of them, it's like, oh, what is worth it? What is not? So. And again, it depends what it you depends want to goal. get out of yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. But it's good to see the difference between all of them, or at least in a nutshell, kind of. Yep. Uh, the different structures of all of them and what they can bring to you and your company and all that. Yeah. And I think, you know, just people, so many people think a certificate and a certification is the same thing. Mm -hmm. And they use the wrong words. They say things wrong. And, you know, I always tell people, at least know what you have. Um, I And I won't say I've never made the mistake, but, you know, know what your stands for and, and have it right on your resume and on your LinkedIn profile. It freaks me out. And there is no other word for it. Like when I open someone's LinkedIn and I see they put that they earned the certified meeting professional and it is been within the past x number of uh years you know since it was professional um and i just kind of freak out because i think how you worked so hard for this how can you either not know what it is or at least get it right on something that's crucial because i think for some people that could be a deal breaker like don't tell me you have an attention to detail and you get your certification wrong on your resume um, sorry, that was that soapbox for the day. Okay, so moving back. Um, so anything else you can think of that you want to add, Liz? Did I lose Liz? Oh, no. You didn't lose oh. me. I wasn't sure if that was like, if people are going to ask me questions. I can go through some closing comments, though. Yes, go for it. So I, what I would hope people walk away with is the ability to be, I'm sorry, an educated buyer of their education. Ooh, excellent. When you see a program, know what questions to ask. And it's okay if you decide that you don't want a real certification. That's an acceptable option. But know the difference. So that way when you speak to your peers, you're having an intelligent conversation about what your background is providing your clients, your boss, your peers. There's so much great education in our industry. So hopefully this helps you decipher some of the alphabet soup you can make some strong decisions about your educational future. I can't help also, of course, to plug site one more time. If you have an interest in incentive travel, start with site. We have CIS, which is our certificate program. 
as well as CITP for our educators and their experienced professionals. What is that true certification? There's a lot of options and avenues in order to grow your career. And there's a lot of great resources out there to help you pick the career path for you. So hopefully this was helpful. Any other questions, Joanne, though, that I could try to answer? No, but what I'm thinking, you know, about the the CIS is what a great way to start, like, if you think incentive travel will become part of your life. You know, if you see the writing on the wall and, you know, once we can truly move around the world, have figured out how to do that again um, safely, uh, I could see a huge rise in in travel and incentive travel. I mean, people, you know, all that pent up like, yes, I'm going to go to, you know, wherever. Um, Seychelles Islands, I don't know. Um, And, you know, so what a great way to learn at least some of the initial basic information about what does it mean to do incentive travel? What do you need to think of if you've been the one who planned corporate meetings in a relatively traditional hotel with relatively traditional, you know, formats, and there's nothing wrong with those, huge fan of them, um, you know, but that is a really big difference. You know, if off doing an off-premise event at your four-day meeting is like what you think of as a big deal, it, it, it would be great to learn what incentive travel could be if you end up, uh, you know, wanting to slide into that, or sometimes you get that under the other duties as assigned. So I think it sounds like a great educational experience to also allow you to know, do I want to go further with this and, f- and further your education and knowledge for where your career path would be. Great, um, I don't want to say toe in the water because I don't want to diminish the value of it, but certainly it sounds like a great, great start into the incentive world. Couldn't have said myself. Well, good, because I didn't know. I thought, I honestly thought it was a certification. And that's pretty sad that I didn't even know. I mean, I've seen CIS and everything, but, um, and I've, I can't say I've seen, I've, I know I have seen CITP a number of places, but never even ask anyone what it was, which, shame on me. But anyway, Liz, thank you so much for, everything you added well no you were the conversation today um they'll be so glad not to hear my voice for an hour (laughs) um and you know I appreciate everything you do in this industry I appreciate you being a a, you know standard bearer for site today so people could learn about one of the other industry associations it's something I want to make a point of doing on this podcast so people begin to know more than just what I know and I learn along the way and uh, appreciate everything you've taught me over the past four or five years. And um, just really appreciate you coming on today. I really do. Well, thanks for having me. It was great fun. Well, thank you very much. And so we are going to sign off on this episode. Again, thank you so much uh, for coming on. Hope it uh, helped your drive or your run or your walk or if you're cooking dinner, whatever it is, I get these pictures from people or texts telling me where they're listening to the podcast. And no matter where you're listening to it, I appreciate you taking the time to listen to it. And I hope you are finding them valuable and at times maybe a little humorous and um, hopeful and uplifting And uh, we will see you on the next time. Let's say goodbye. Go ahead. Thank you, everyone.
goodbye from Steve the Great. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Liz, and goodbye from Joanne, and we will be talking soon. Thanks.